of the away team here on pressbasketball.com today myself phil as always and my co-host for the day from press basketball you all know him you all love him justin rowan aka Cavs anada welcome to the show buddy how are you going to start the show off with a lie you, you say that you all love him that's that that's impossible the I majority I, of people i, I think i'm trying to set it up to be positive <laughs> i know i i I know like don't lie to the people. Don't don't you don't have to baby our audience, man. All right, I won't. Everyone hates him, and I and I opened up with Cavs on it as his Twitter, so we can all hate on him after this. Beautiful. But the one thing we do know about Justin is that he's, as per his Twitter handle, is a Cavs fan, and it's going to come in handy, and not the way he thinks it's going to come in handy. Today we're going to look at the Eastern Conference because let's be honest, um, the matchups are set for the second round. We have Cleveland against Toronto, a rematch of last year's conference finals, and we have Washington and Boston. First, let's stick with your uh, with the subject uh, that you know a bit, but I, I'm going to make you use it against your own team. Okay. Because when we're looking at Cleveland and Toronto, I mean, I think a lot of people kind of looked for a repeat of last year and... And maybe I'll open up uh, uh, before those questions. Mm-hmm. Is, do you think, compared to last year, Toronto has done enough uh, so that people who are just bypassing the Raptors should have a second uh, a second look at the situation? Well, I think Toronto's in a much better position to compete against the Cavs this year. They have defensive versatility. Um, their depth is depth that's actually going to benefit them against the Cavs rather than good players that don't necessarily help out in this matchup. I think there's a lot of different looks that they can give. Um, ultimately, when it comes down to the series, uh, the conference finals last year wasn't close. You, even though it was a six-game series, you're, you're still talking about, uh, I believe it was a 94-point uh, margin of victory, and that's with two losses in. Like It, it just wasn't a close series outside of two games. Um, so I think regardless of length of the series, I think Toronto's better suited to make these games competitive because in the games that the Cavs showed up or in the conference finals last year, um, the, the, the Raptors simply just didn't compete. Yeah. And, and I think a big part of that was when, when, uh, Cleveland went small and like, they just weren't able to keep up. Like when you had JV and Patterson, like, I think the ability to put a Baca at center is going to be massive against these guys. But what I want you to do is kind of say, okay, because obviously we've got a bunch of listeners who are Canadians, a bunch of Raptors fans, and people assume, since we're Canadians, that we are Raptors fans, which, let's be honest, is not always the case. But if you were going to game plan, like you were on that Raptors staff, and, and you were saying, this is how I would play the Cavs, because you know the Cavs and, and you know their strengths, their weaknesses. If you had this roster, how would you how would you utilize your Toronto Raptors against Cleveland? Um, I I, I think you from a matchup standpoint, how you'd use the Cavs or how you'd match up um, would be utilizing a lot of Serge Ibaka and Patrick Patterson together. Um, I I think in those lineups, you you'd also go with PJ Tucker. Um, 
because with Tucker on the court, the Cavs are kind of bound to ignore him on the offensive end. And I think it's important that Lowry and DeRozan, uh, or whoever the guard tandem is, uh, has two scores in the front court uh, that, that can space the floor if Tucker's being ignored. So I, I think that's why the versatility of both Pat. Uh, Patrick Patterson and Serge Ibaka is important because they can space the floor um, as as well as uh, hold their own on the defensive end. Yeah, I think we're talking about the same thing because I think, you know, uh, JV is going to have some value. And I think uh, we all know, you know, DeMar DeRozan, Kyle Lowry are the stars in this team. But I honestly think, and, and maybe you're alluding to it, but how well the kind of four guys of, you know, Tucker, Carroll, Patrick Patterson, and Ibaka, if they're hitting their shots, I think that to me is the difference between this maybe going six or seven or maybe even in a weird situation, Toronto making it mm-hmm. and not. Because I I really think how Kyle and DeMar get their offense, if those guys aren't able to keep the defenders kind of playing one-on-one, I really think it's going to be tough. Um, like, like, do you think that's the key, or do you think more it's really like uh, their backcourt just beating up on the backcourt of Cleveland? Um, that is going to be a key. It's it's going to be tough though, um, because we we tend to look at things as individual one on one matchups when we're we're comparing teams, but team defense can change things. Like in the past, what the Cavs have done um, is they really trapped hard on Kyle Lowry and forced the ball out of his hands. Um, it's not necessarily one-on-one defense. They're trying to force uh, either the small forward or, or the big men to make plays with the ball, and they kind of just let DeMar DeRozan go off. Um, J.R. Smith has done a good job on DeRozan this year. Um, if you look at the, the numbers, um, he, he's defended him well. Uh, however, J.R.'s hamstring um, has been an issue and, and may... Um, limit how effective he is as a defender with Smith on the court this season DeRozan shoots 37.5% uh, with Smith off the court it's 46.3 so if the Cavs have that J.R. Smith available that version of Smith defensively it's going to make a big difference but I, I do expect them to funnel the ball out of Lowry's hands and and force him not only uh, to give up the ball but prevent him from getting into a rhythm because if the Raptors want to compete in this series, Kyle Lowry's have going to have to be a big factor. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and it's interesting because people were kind of, you know, looking at what JR did last year and he got his money and they're saying his big shots and everything. But, uh, but to me and, and maybe some people who dive into it, like it, it was his defense to me that really won him that paycheck, like his right. ability to, uh, to go on Steph and Clay, and again, like his ability to do that in Demar. Like I didn't even know the numbers were that low. Like, like that's brutal. Like if he's their number one scorer, and, and let's be honest, Kyle's been kind of up and down the playoffs, right? So if the only consistent scorer, even towards the latter part of the last series of the Bucks, been Demar, and you can keep him to that, yeah, and you funnel the ball to him at that, it's gonna be a lo- uh, well, actually, I was gonna say a long series, maybe a short series. Um, so. Does this kind of mean that LeBron James gets like defensive assignments off, like, uh, or do you think he mans up on on Demar here or there? He, or he will never. I I can't. Maybe down the stretch, I could see him um, checking DeRozan, but uh, I just don't expect him to to guard DeRozan because so he, so he's uh, just going to be waiting out there with Tucker or Carroll or whoever he wants, right? Exactly. What they've done in the past, um, J.R. Smith typically does draw the toughest assignment uh, defensively 
on the perimeter. Um, it's, uh, I guess, a bit of a misconception um, with how people view the Cavs. Um, but Smith does draw those assignments because what that allows is for LeBron James to kind of play as a free safety defensively, to provide help defense, to help blitz uh, ball handlers and stuff and trap and, and, and really be all over the place. Um, it's the same reason, or it, it's a similar role to what Draymond Green plays for the Warriors. So when LeBron's doing that, that's the most effective that he can be defensively. So, um, I, I expect them to once again, go with that, um, strategy. Now, like, uh, one thing that, uh, that I think is going to be interesting is how, is how Serge Ibaka can, can get his shots offensively. Like, like, I think against guys like Love and Tristan Thompson, and maybe you think I'm wrong, but I, I think JV is going to have a tough series. Like, uh, no, for uh, sure. Yeah. Like, like love against a guy like JV, that's where his defensive skills kind of show. And Tristan Thompson is just a workhorse, right? Like he's going to make him work. He's going to make him, you know, give up some, some dumb turnovers. Uh, but to me, I really think it's going to be interesting how they play a Baca because I kind of want them to put LeBron on Ibaka because I think Ibaka is going to end up forcing some shots. Because like I think there's still part of him that wants that larger offensive role and sometimes does force it. And I can yeah, see LeBron. Yeah, and, and I think that's that. I think I think that's part of why he's struggled since Kyle Lowry's come back is he his role has been reduced and both of them are still trying to learn how to play with each other. Like on paper, this Raptors team is a lot better than where they're currently at because you have. Ibaka still learning how to play with the team, um, and Kyle Lowry coming off surgery on a shooting hand. So uh, that's that's a major factor towards, uh, or something that they have to overcome if they want to compete. Yeah, as a strange side note, um, I was just thinking of it. Like, I think both the Jazz and Raptors right now may be way better if they had their respective point guards in different situations. Like, imagine George Hill with Demar and Ibaka, and being yeah. able. Uh, I don't think. I was kind no, of just playing they, off your idea. They need idea Lowry's there. dynamic scoring. They really need it. I don't think Hill can score at that level. And uh, and Hill's better typically playing off ball. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, Demar handles it a lot, right? Yeah, but, he, but he, he's not. He doesn't have the vision to run an offense at that high of a level. Like he he's a great scorer well. and he's improved as a passer, but he's not a primary initiator of the offense. He's he he can't. He can't do it at that level um, when you're talking about actually competing um, a- against a contending team. Yeah. Okay, so uh, uh, how about the guy who hasn't gotten much talk in this? Um, uh, uh, Kevin Love, the third part of the big three. Uh, I mean, he can put up some big numbers. Uh, uh, he's a former all I mean, former All-Star. He puts up massive numbers even this year. He's, he's improving how do you see him playing out both offensively and defensively uh, uh, this series, especially with the Raptors kind of tending to go smaller more and more? Well, I don't know if the Raptors are going to be able to go smaller. I think that was something that they did against the Bucks because the Bucks were playing four wings. Um, if the Raptors go with the same starting lineup, so you're, you're talking about Ibaka and Carroll as the big men, um, they're, they're, I, I think they just get beat up. Um, by the Cavs, like you, you would surrender way too many offensive rebounds to a front court of Thompson, Love, and James, right? Um, so I think they are going to go back to Jonas in the starting lineup, and um, they'll they'll also use a lot of lineups with Abak and Patterson together. Um, so in in those lineups, I expect Love to probably get the assignment against Jonas Valanciunas, 
um, who, who isn't going to stretch him out or, or score in space, loves a good post defender. So, uh, that's a favorable matchup for him. While you have the more mobile, uh, Thompson really trying to snuff things out for Ibaka on the offensive end. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I, I think that could work really, really favorably. And, and it's interesting, right? Cause last year the Raptors had, had trouble with, with, uh, Cleveland going small, but now we're kind of saying that, Cleveland going big is is almost to their advantage. Now, do you think there's a chance that we see a guy like like Baby or maybe Portal uh, Portal being a little bit more agile, a little bit more of a jump shot on Portal's side, a little bit more of a defensive edge on Baby's side, or have they just gone this long and invested too much in JV and he's just got to play it? Because I kind of agree with what you're saying, and I think potentially between Love and Tristan, they could turn him into a turnover non-factor. Right. Um, I, I'd i like to see uh, Jakobodl get more time. Um, I don't necessarily anticipate it. Um, for as good as he is uh, for a rookie and for as mobile as he, he is compared to Valanciunas, he's still a rookie. Uh, he's still going to make mistakes. He is prone to foul. Um, so I, I think he would be attacked fairly heavily. Um, by the Cavs offense. I, I think they would single him out and test him out. And um, just looking at the tendencies Dwayne Casey has shown as a coach uh, throughout his tenure with the team, uh, I don't anticipate him going that deep in his bench. It took him until game four against the Bucks to even start to utilize Powell, which paid off. Um, but that was a very delayed decision, and that was someone that's proven it in the past and started in playoff games. Um, not not a rookie who who really hasn't been a significant member in the rotation. Yeah, and and speaking of Poto, like um, I just want to give props to Masai Ujiri over his last couple of drafts. Like um, I know uh, the Bruno draft it, it, it is one only favored by me, but the last mm-hmm. two, like 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 being able to draft two legit players from each, where guys kind of like. Uh, weren't being expected like, like drafting Potal and Siakam who's been kind of killing it with the 905 they're uh, you know a D-League team and then then Wright and um, why am I, bl- I blanking on the name two guard six four right. <laughs> he's been coming up big man I'm having a Powell? tough day uh, yeah uh, Norman Powell so coming up with those four guys in the last draft I mean like uh, people forget that the Raptors aside from their top guys are pretty young right so they're kind of building that way but um, I just want to give him props there, but uh, uh, we're coming close to the 15-minute mark. We do have to grab the other side of it. How do you see this playing out in terms of a series? Because I kind of think Cleveland in five, personally. I, I also think Cleveland five. I think it's going to be a much closer and competitive series than it was last year. Um, but I think it's going to go five games. Like I think you can have a four-game series that's closer than uh, a five- or six-game series. Um, so I... I think the Raptors are going to be much more competitive. Um, This is really going to come down to which version of these teams show up because both teams have looked inconsistent recently. Um, But factoring in that inconsistency and the fact that the Cavs still do have the superior roster here, uh, I'm going to go with the Cavs in five games. Yeah, I agree with you there. And uh, um, much like we were talking with potentially Chris Paul and uh, Blake Griffin in the, in the West, do you think this series decides whether they keep or don't keep Kyle Lowry being the Toronto Raptors? I think it depends how he performs in the series, more so than the result. Okay, if he plays like he did uh, with the Bucks, I, I think they would seriously consider either letting him walk or signing him and shopping him after. 
I completely agree. Okay, well, speaking of two-point guards who are really killing it right now, uh, the other side of the Eastern Conference, we have the Washington Wizards and the Boston Celtics. Boston Celtics uh, coming fresh off, getting rid of the G- Jimmy Butler-led uh, Chicago Bulls, which which almost looked like a big scare at the start. And then we had uh, John Wall putting in some of his best efforts towards the end, uh, leading his squad against Atlanta. And, and and I think we heard uh, today that Paul Millsap actually said he's probably going to opt out or uh, so so he could be a free agent. Man, I, I, I really hope he goes to OKC, by the way. Um, as a side note, no. Paul... No? It would be so sad to see him not get any touches. Oh, man. <laughs> so basically, he should go to San Antonio then. That'd be fun. Somehow. So if they could like do a sign-and-trade uh, for LaMarcus Aldridge... I'm not too sure what the ideal situation for Millsap is. Um, my favorite place, and, and this is probably going to get you on a tangent here, but I'd love to see him in Denver next to Jokic. Oh, yeah. I I, I think I don't know if I want to see him as the main scorer, but I, I guess between yeah, he, Why him, would he be the main scorer there, though? Well, because it, it, I feel like Denver kind of shares the ball a lot, like, like uh, you often have times where Chandler or Murray or Jokic, like uh, there's a lot of guys who can drop you 20 on that team. And I think that's how they really hurt teams. And I think exactly. And and that's how the Hawks have played in the past. So it would be a fairly seamless fit there. Plus Millsap's a good passer for his position, which would fit in well to what Denver's trying to do, which is have multiple playmakers and multiple scores at every position. I like it. And he gets to play in Denver. Um, (laughs) All right, so well, we're when we're bringing it back to the Boston Celtics and and uh, Washington Wizards. Now, is this anything more to you than just the battle of the point guards? Like, like, is there something more that the average fan should be looking at that uh, that's really going to stand out, or are we just looking at two, you know, top of their game guys who are just going to go at it? Uh, it's going to be really interesting, uh, obviously, the matchup between two elite point guards here. I'm What I'm looking for is what Boston's going to do with Isaiah Thomas on the defensive end, um, because you really can't hide him like, against Wall or Beal. And no. you obviously can't have him guard a, a small forward. So like, uh, Isaiah Thomas is going to have to step up in a big way on that end. He obviously has limitations due to his stature, but it's gonna it's gonna be really interesting to see what type of things Brad Stevens comes up with in order to minimize that. I think you have to play him on Wall and just force like like even though Wall's been hitting his shots, like I I just can't see him standing in front of Beal. Like Beal's not a big guy, but he's still like six three, six four, long arms. Like he's just gonna be dropping shots on him the whole time. Like I think you kind of have to force him just to play tough on wall and make wall make some mistakes. I mean, like he may take him to the post. Like I get all that, but you know, Thomas is a smart guy and maybe he can take a couple flops or force a couple turnovers and just, I, I don't know. Like I, I just think he has to play that matchup on both sides. And it's kind of the same with wall. Like I just think it's one of those classic cases where we're literally going to see the matchup uh, that everyone wants to see. Because it's because it's so normal when two teams clash. It's like uh, you know if we see LeBron and KD, well, like you know Richard Jefferson will grab KD, or like uh, you know uh, some other guy will grab LeBron. You don't see exactly what you want to see, but I I think in this case uh, that's how it's going to drop out. And and I really think 
Boston with their defenders can really like if if the, if 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 Thompson is able to do anything against Wall, I think I think Avery Bradley is going to have a field day with Beal because finally he's playing a two guard who's his height or like just a bit taller. And he was a defensive monster in the last series. So I think if you give him the advantage of having that size differential. And then in the front court, like Crowder on uh, on like, Porter. Like, on Porter, I guess. Like I think Crowder is stronger. He's the vet. I, I'm not really worried there. And then what? I mean, where are the points really going to come from? Like I actually think this is going to be a really low-scoring event. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how low scoring it's going to be because Boston has struggled to defend guards in the past. Like they do have, like obviously Avery Bradley's a great defender, as is Marcus Smart, but playing those guys together means that you're benching Isaiah Thomas, which um, completely throws <laughs> apart your offense. You, you obviously can't do that. He's so big for them. So I, I don't believe in Thomas's ability to lock up either Wall or Beal or really have any impact at all um so once you have john wall getting by him with ease that opens things up like i understand that they they match up well individually but as that team defense starts to break down uh, and then you factor in the inability to rebound um i i do think washington's going to be able to get theirs uh against boston relatively easily yeah oh so i uh, so I mean, if if you think that's happening, so are you almost saying that you think Washington takes this series just because it's a perfect matchup, perfect storm kind of idea? Well, Washington's taking this series, in my opinion. I, I think th- I think they have a fairly easy. I expect it to be a five or six game series. Interesting. That'll be a major letdown for the one seed, like having gone that tough well, against Chicago. God, they, they they barely made it by Chicago. It, I mean, it, it obviously turned after Rondo got hurt, but um, that Do you honestly think far... it, like, like if Rondo was playing, it would have gone the other way? I think it would have at least gone seven. Interesting, because I actually think it would have completely gone the other way. I I think uh, like it's just such a drop-off from Rondo to, to Isaiah Cannon that like while he had some nice shots it's just it totally threw off their offense which is weird right because at the start of the season we were worried about butler wade and rondo but they actually managed to figure it out at some some point right and that and a big part of that right? is they boston struggles to defend guards like uh, again um rondo was kind of having his way and once you have that point guard who's um, really getting into the heart of the defense and forcing it to collapse, it opens things up for them offensively. They didn't have that for the rest of the series. Uh, Dwayne Wade played terribly um, and, and was really showing his age. So it, they they just didn't have the fire, firepower. They they weren't able to generate offense at the same rate. All right, so I think uh, we're both kind of saying the same thing. Washington, I'll, I'll say six. Uh, what are you saying? Yeah, I'll also say Washington in six. Um, as I said, I think it'd be a five or six game series. Six seems safer because uh, both these teams are fairly flawed. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, staying uh, staying in the East, just doing a little bit of house cleaning, uh, we're just talking about uh, Chicago there. And, and we spoke about a couple teams, how, how they might change after this season. Um, do you think, because uh, there's you know, some ideas of how they deal with Wade, how they deal with Butler. Uh, you know, they have... It, 
it, it seems like a really messy team. Like, I think a lot of people looked at this team and were like, what is your identity? What are you trying to do? Where are you going from here? And maybe they've reached their ceiling. Like, if, if you had to use your gut feeling to say how they play this roster going forward, how, how would you call that? Uh, and it's really tough because Chicago always goes cheap too. That's that's the thing you got to factor in. Uh, Wade comes down to his decision, so uh, I, whether he chooses to opt in or out um, is obviously going to impact um, what they do with the rest of the roster. I wouldn't be surprised to see Jimmy Butler shopped. I don't know if they necessarily would move him though. Yeah, I personally think at at, at this point, like. There's such a high value on Butler. Like, I think it's a domino effect, kind of like what you're saying. Like, I think if Wade opts out, uh, they look at their roster and be like, not too much on the books. If I can move Butler for a future and maybe move him with Lopez, because I think Lopez can add a lot of value to a contending team, um, or in sep- or in separate. Yeah, but deal. you're you're always down to tear apart a team, though. Like that's yeah, but that's what makes it fun. I mean, if you can trade, look, if you can get some guys to build around, like I really like Bobby Portis and I like some other guys they have. Like, I get what you're saying. Like, you don't trade a top 15 guy, or or maybe we may consider him a top 10. I mean, it's, he's uh, definitely like he's a top three player in the East. Let's let's leave it at that. It, okay, exactly. So. I mean, it's a type of player that you don't trade unless it's like a, like a godfather deal. But like, um, I'm actually, uh, maybe I'll use the same kind of example I used before with my What If Wednesday idea for Paul George and the Bucks. Can you see maybe that kind of a thing? Like, like a team that has a bunch of young players who could theoretically give enough value back and then put Jimmy with Giannis. See, I, I think you need at least one future star there, so... Maybe there's something there if you throw in Jabari Parker, who's the hometown kid. Um, but it would really take a lot, uh, in my opinion, especially with uh, some term left on Butler's deal. Um, it would really take one hell of a, an offer and uh, w- would gut uh, whatever team ends up making that deal. I mean, if it was Middleton and Parker, is that necessarily gutting? And I think that's a lot of talent going back, especially if you're not sure what you're doing. Uh, like. I think that's too much for Milwaukee to give up, to be honest. Oh, interesting. So it's kind of that just spot. because only because of the timelines of these players. Like uh, when Chris Middleton is still young and fits along with Giannis, he, he fits yeah. with what they're trying to do. Um, it obviously Jimmy Butler is a far better player, but when Chris Middleton's healthy and he's right, we're we're talking about. Uh, a top four shooting guard in the league. So and that gets it done on both ends and fits with what Milwaukee does. So um, I don't know if you necessarily uh, give up both him, Parker, and anything else uh, for Jimmy Butler. Yeah, it's a really tough situation to trade because A, you don't want to trade a guy like that, and B, the team you trade him to, A, has to have that young talent that that you deem worth it, and B, has to be contending-ish enough to want to give up that talent for a guy who's, what, 27, 28 at this point? Right. So, And, and so, like, really it comes down to your, like, if Boston can land that top two pick, maybe, but I think outside of that, I think the only reason I, I may agree with you with the non-trade, like especially if, if Wade uh, opts out, 
is that there just won't be enough coming back at you to make you really like like validate it to your fan base and your and, and your ownership group right right and you and you have to sell it to the fans right yeah especially in chicago where it's kind of tough to be like well we were in the playoffs we almost you know the first two games we took we did this and now we're just going to nothing and we gave them up for like some garbage like some guy's first round pick or or Jabari Parker. <laughs> I would love Jabari Parker and Bobby Portis and just like, fans, here's our future. Here you go. And and then Milwaukee's just cruising to the finals, just with Middleton and Butler and Giannis. <laughs> Could those guys play together? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think you... Yeah, it's true, because Middleton wouldn't need to handle the ball too much, so it's basically just Butler on Brogdon could play off the ball, so you could definitely do that. Exactly. And... And as a last point, um, I, I remember I was high on him at, at the draft, and you were kind of iffy, and and we still uh, won't come, come to a consensus how old he is. Has uh, has Thon Maker started to impress you and started to validate that 10th overall pick? Well, as I said, it, you, you knew how low I was on this draft coming in, so I didn't necessarily hate going with the upside pick. Um, he's exceeded my expectations, at least with his play in the playoffs. Uh, I think it's important to note that he was not necessarily that good in the regular season. And even when he was starting, he was only playing 13 minutes a game. So uh, you can call him a starter all you want. But well, he's still a project who's learning, right? And that's the natural progression of, of a player like who's going to learn. Like, like he starts to peak later on in the season. Right. Oh, for sure. But uh, at the same time, you also had a uh, shell shock, Jonas Valanciunas, which would make anybody look better. Um, but yes. Thon Maker has impressed me. Um, I, I think his skill set, theoretically, if he's able to reach his potential, is a perfect fit for that Bucks roster. Yeah, totally agree. Well, that comes to another the end of another episode here, of the Away Team Podcast. Uh, Justin, I want to thank you for jumping on here. Always good talking basketball and talking Cavs. Uh, so, looking forward to Game One of both those series. And uh, man, I just hope for Raptors' sake that. Uh, they at least uh, win one or two in some kind of convincing fashion. Or, or, <laughs> or this is going to just be brutal of, you know, that 25-point lead that they blew and all these things. Like, it, it it's not easy uh, on the old ticker to be a Raptors fan sometimes. No, it certainly isn't. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Remember to catch us all on PressBasketball.com.